0: What's going on, everyone? It is Monday, April 26th. My name is Everett DeLorme, and welcome to the Volleyball Source Podcast. We've got a great episode uh, coming up today. Joining us is the current uh, men's coach of the year for the Danish Pro League. He led a middle fart uh, volleyball club to their first club uh, or first cup championship ever and a bronze medal uh, in the league. He is head coach Mike Bosens. Mike. Head coach, welcome to the show. How's it going?
1: Going pretty good. Back in Canada, so I'm nice and comfortable after uh, a couple hours of traveling, but I'm happy to be home.
0: Uh, that's great. Um, I'm guessing you're in quarantine uh, right now?
1: Yeah, I did a uh, couple days in the hotel quarantine. So you get off the plane, you get tested, you go straight to a hotel. So I did I did my dues there, and now I'm back home isolating for two weeks. So I'm just at home.
0: Are you, so you're back home in Durham right, right now?
1: Yeah, I'm back home in Durham. I live in Pickering.
0: Uh, Pickering, F- fair enough. So you are you are a, a former Durham attack athlete. You've coached at the Ohio, the Ohio State University. Yeah. Uh, 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 for the Buckeyes, you've coached at Durham College. Uh, your first coaching, uh, your first year of coaching pro was last year in Sweden, but this year it was the big one in Denmark. Uh, you won the cup uh, championship. You guys got third in the league. You Got a couple of Canadians uh, on your team. So first off, let's just start of uh, like how how would you put into words this season what how was this season for you
1: Uh, I mean I mean every team you coach whether they're kids or adults or or whatever you do you're always going to be faced with unexpected incidences or unexpected things that happen and this season was no different um especially this
0: season with COVID and everything
1: especially this season we're we're very lucky to keep training we were very lucky to use gym facilities they were lucky to to lift um I mean we weren't able to get haircuts but I mean we we were we were very lucky yeah yeah me too (laughs) I'm telling you but we were very lucky and um a lot of leagues and clubs weren't as lucky as we were um but there were so many personalities on the team and the team clicked so early and it was it was a lot of fun. It was just a lot of fun having that many personalities and that many I guess spirits if you want to call it all in one on one team. It, it
0: did seem a lot of fun. Um you had a, as I mentioned you had a couple of ca- Canadians in your team, George Thompson, Irvin Braar. I was watching Irvin's stories, uh Instagram stories kind of after the season. Uh you guys were playing Uh, soccer golf as a team Uh, you were you were playing soccer and like you were even even getting in there so it looked like you guys had a good team vibe and you guys were just getting getting along almost like a brotherhood
1: it yeah it I mean it it really helps having guys like Irvin and George Thompson who have these very (laughs) it's hard to explain but their their personalities are so enlightening and whenever they step into a room they make everyone comfortable and they don't you know, even with their status and Irvin Bar being on Team Canada and George doing wonderful things in Denmark, they make people feel at ease. They make people feel comfortable, not intimidated. And we had a lot of talent on the team, and everybody with talent on that team made the rest feel comfortable. And it helped that we played, you know, these warm-up games that got a little competitive. And you know, you got to let these competitive guys be competitive. And it wasn't always sunshine and rainbows at training either. These guys like to train. They like to be competitive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've never met George. Um, I have, I'm good friends with Irvin, and you're right. He's the type of guy that just is he's, he's, magnetic when he walks into the room. He's like a ray, of, a ray of sunshine. He's always got a positive attitude. He's always got a smile on his face. He's always there ready to support one of his buddies. And, I mean, he's also one of the best athletes I've, I've ever seen too. So that doesn't help. Uh, that doesn't hurt either.
1: I would probably agree with you he's I mean it would it wouldn't be a stretch to say he's the closest thing to a to a Michael Jordan personality where he is so competitive all the time and even if he's not captain or even if he's not playing there's this presence to him where he demands competitiveness and he no matter if he's playing you know, beer pong in college, or he's playing table tennis here, or he's, he's doing half court competitive, or he's playing beach. The guy's going to put in 110% in absolutely everything.
0: So how, how did that work out with ending up with two Canadians on, on your team? Was that just kind of serendipitous or did it, did it happen, happen in a way that, you know, you found out that, uh, you know, uh, Irv and, and George Thompson were available and you're like, yeah, I want these guys on my team
1: well i mean you kind of have to get lucky with guys like that too you you kind of have to fall in the right place and irvin i know you know when he was playing in the bundesliga um you know he obviously got some attention there and as a canadian we we watch over him and we see what he's doing and he actually um reached out to me and he was looking for opportunities and i guess he just knew there was a canadian coach overseas and he actually reached out to me and he said hey i'm I want to keep my options open. Basically, you're someone who I would might be like to play with and be coached by. Um, what do you think? And I said, ah, let me think about it. <laughs> even though, <laughs> even though right away, I'm like, yeah, 100%. Why wouldn't I take this guy? And I contacted the the manager and I said, I, I think we have a guy that would be a good fit for our team. <laughs> and uh, we started talking and, and the, everything just kind of matched up. And it was Irvin that actually said, hey, I got a A friend george because they're very good friends Mm -hmm. um he's kind of looking for a club too and he has experience in denmark would it make sense to to maybe bring both of us and it did make sense and everything kind of worked out so we got lucky they were looking for they were looking for places to play we were looking for athletes so everything just kind of fell where it where it should have i guess
0: I mean, it seemed like Denmark was a very popular place for Canadians this year. There was quite a quite a few uh, Canadians in the league. Um, mm-hmm. Jordan Darlington, uh, uh, Joel Regeer uh, as well. Of course, Phil Dixon was coaching at, over at Nordenskov. so sure. it, it was almost kind of like a little Canada up there, up there in the in, in Scandinavia.
1: Yeah, uh, especially well, Sweden, where I coached last year, there was a, a high number of Australians and Canadians, and Canadians are so. Um, welcomed into Scandinavia so if, if, if you're a young athlete looking for opportunity reaching out to those you know Norway Denmark Sweden that's a really good place to start for a lot of Canadians and the way the visas work it, it's very accessible and it, the process is, is easier than a lot of other countries
0: ah okay what's what's the level like in the in the Danish League
1: the Danish I mean it's it's I mean it's pretty high in, I mean that's a good question. I mean there are there are excellent excellent athletes who pass through there, but Denmark being a small country, you definitely get a lot of youth athletes and who are on the youth national team, and you find a lot of youth programs developing a lot early, um, and a lot of those younger athletes actually play in the Liga and they play on those teams. So there's there's this there's this medium between these pros. And then youth athletes coming up and there's this synergy between the two. So you get a team like Gentofte who predominantly is made up of Danish national players, but they also have this draw from Copenhagen for a lot of these young athletes. So it can be either incredibly competitive. And then as the funding and things go down, it gets to about college level, but the top five and up, you know, that's where you start seeing a lot of pros, a lot of competitive athletes who can, compete in european cup Mm -hmm.
0: it's always interesting for me to look at how pro volleyball is treated differently uh, across different countries and i think in our heads as north americans our idea of pro is the nhl the nba the nfl and i don't think like that that's that's a reality that's so far from the truth even at the highest levels of volleyball um you know i I remember talking to to players uh and they're just being like you know what like i've played on teams where you know, the, the guys who are starting for our team, you know, had jobs during the day yeah. and then would train, train at night and then would bang balls with us on the weekend and, and stuff like that. For sure. Yeah,
1: for sure. There, there's guys with families on the team. And a lot of countries have, or a lot of countries have league rules where you have to have an X amount of, uh, you know, domestic players on that team. And there's a lot of good athletes who have jobs and there's a lot of good athletes who have families and, they're on the team. So you have a mix between, you know, part-time and full-time practice players and part-time full-time game players and professional. um, Like you said, when you think NBA, NHL, it's, it's not always like that. Sometimes you'll only have maybe six guys at training. Sometimes you don't have a full squad going to games because someone's got work and someone can't find a babysitter. That happens all over the world, unless you're Maybe at the top level in Italy or you're at the top level in Russia where 100% of the athletes are professional.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. It, it, it's, it's always an interesting, uh, you know, dynamic, I, I think, when guys go over, overseas for the first time. Now, looking into the season, um, I know that Irv kind of got injured towards the the end of the year in, in the playoffs so maybe the playoff result with the bronze medal wasn't exactly what you guys were looking for however you guys did win um the cup championship and and the mm-hmm. danish cup and i believe it was it was it it was was it the first one or was the first one in in 40 plus years
1: it was the first one in 41 years
0: 41 yeah. years that's incredible yeah. is, is that was that part of was, was that one of your goals heading into the season? Was that one of the goals that you had stated kind of with the club when, when you had been hired on? Or is that just something that, that came about when you saw, you know, how the team was working together and the collection of athletes that you had?
1: I think, I, I believe when we started recruiting athletes and we saw that we were getting quality athletes in, and Middleford has always been known for having quality athletes and and, you know, foreigners come in. And the goal has always been with this club as a top three team, to try to win the cup and to win the league and to have the opportunity to play in the European cup. Um, So there, there was, I mean, a lot of managers and presidents don't want to put that on the coach saying, Hey, you kind of have to win a cup because of the athletes we have and you kind of have to win a league, but have fun with it. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's a pressure on the staff and there is somewhat pressure with the athletes that I try to take from them, but we definitely want to win a cup. From day one that, that was our goal we knew we had to be athletic and be healthy and, and work really hard to get it
0: that was a mission accomplished then you guys you guys t- took home the cup
1: yeah <laughs> yeah we did yeah
0: does that lead into kind of challenge cup cev cup uh next year or is that based off of the the league uh results
1: so the league results so you there's one of two ways you can get to the european cup the cev is if you win that i believe if you win that european cup you move on um, well, you either have to win the cup or win the league to get to the European cup. Okay.
0: When, when is the European cup?
1: I believe it's in November.
0: Okay. So it's next, next year.
1: It's yeah. The next count. Yeah. The next year. And then right before the season starts. Ah,
0: okay. Uh, understandable. So, I mean, I guess we should get it out, out of the way right off the bat. Are you planning to head back to middle fart next year or is it, are you going to take the success and kind of move up and, and, and pursue maybe a, a bigger job elsewhere?
1: just retire and just like
0: roll in. <laughs> retire yeah retire on top right i'll just retire completely that, that, that's why you did the whole apprenticeship at, at osu you know just just to win that one cup and then you know you were done yeah
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, i i obviously plan i want to go back to to denmark of course and that, that country is so beautiful and the people are so nice and i mean it would it would be nice to go back um However, with with COVID and things like that, you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen with funding. And unless you have a contract right in front of you, anything can happen. So even though the club is very genuine and saying we'd love to have you back, we work well together, you know, the success is a a byproduct of how hard the, the organization has worked. Unless you have a contract right in front of you, player or coach, it doesn't really mean anything. So you can keep ties as much as possible and hope for the best, um, but that's that's pretty much it.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much, the, as you said, it's the reality for, for everyone. A one-year contract is pretty much standard, um, and I, I always applaud, like, I, I always, it's always great when I see multi-year contracts, whether it's for coaches or for or, or for players, but I mean, coaching, uh, Canadian coaches specifically, going over and coaching in Europe is kind of a newer phenomenon in a lot of ways. And there's not that many guys did it. You know, there's, I know of two right now, it's yourself and Phil Dixon, both in Denmark. Maybe, you know, a a few, a few others, but it just doesn't seem like it's that strong of of a pursuit for Canadian coaches to, to go coach overseas.
1: I would, I would probably agree with you. I think our college and university systems are so well built and there's so much funding and there's so much opportunity to play for a good program. And Ontario alone has like over what, 200 colleges or something like that like we're and you know Canadian culture is you know you go to school you play in school if you can and then you graduate with a degree and that's it um and coaching is kind of the same way you can kind of give back and go back to the college that you played at and we kind of leave the Europeans to do European stuff and we leave Canadians to do Canadian stuff um but it wasn't until I had you know kind of a thought where well why can't I do that if I want to coach at the highest level why can't I go to Europe what what's stopping anyone from doing that you have to get a little lucky you have to be good and you need you know some uh connections out there which I didn't have really any of that (laughs) so you just you kind of roll the dice and you hope for the best and I think now I, I, I would like to encourage athletes and coaches to go out to Europe and at least experience it. Um, but you're right. I know maybe two or three Canadian coaches out there right now.
0: How, so how did you get your foot in the door then? Like what was that, that first step where you just like blind, like blind emailing teams? Cause you know, I mentioned earlier, your first season was last year in, in Sweden, uh, no Canadians on that roster. So it's not like you had any guys, guys pulling you in um yeah. the club that that you coached for wasn't really known for one that would that would bring in canadians and north americans so how, how did you get your foot in the door
1: yeah that that club i coached in in sweden uh i was their first full-time coach i think ever
0: oh damn wow
1: yeah so i that was a time where one of the three things luck kind of played a part they were looking for a young coach who had ideas and wasn't really afraid to take chances and i was kind of that guy Um, but the same with Ohio is I just cold called everybody, everybody. And I did that for probably two years. Um, if, if you don't know by now, but, but Facebook is an incredible platform to communicate with coaches and players from all over the world for some Facebook is the thing. (laughs) So my first contract in Sweden actually got finalized over Facebook messenger. Wow. Yeah. So so with Ohio, I might have contacted fifteen Division One schools and maybe ten Division Three schools. I got uh, a couple emails sent out to a, a bunch of Canadian colleges out west. Uh, I got a lot of no's, a lot of hey, perhaps next year, and then I got lucky with Ohio. That was basically it.
0: Was Ohio your number one choice? Because I, you know, I read your Instagram post uh, when Pete's Anson retired, and you know, it seemed like going there, you know, and it's the, the Ohio State. They have such a, a great history across sport, not not only volleyball, but one of, you know, it's the, one of the most decorated uh, volleyball schools, especially on the, the the East Coast, the NCAA. So was that kind of like one of the, the kind of the pinnacle teams that, that you wanted to pursue? Uh,
1: I would say so. I mean, when I was sending out emails, there wasn't really a specific school where I was like, okay, that's the school I need to be at. Pete Hansen was a coach where he was, he was coming off two national championships um, in a row. So that definitely helped, you know, being like, I, I really want to work with that guy. You know, that, that's something I would like to do. Um, but no, I, I would have taken anything. <laughs> I, would have, I would have gone anywhere to learn it from anyone, really. And to get my foot in the door at that level. But like what you said, like Ohio State is such an institution for sports, period. And if you want to learn something about culture and sports, Ohio state is probably the place to be. And when Pete Hansen reached out to me, he actually called me in the morning. I wasn't even expecting it. And he goes, what do you want to get out of this? And I'm like, first of all, I'm in shock that Pete Hansen is calling me right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I was stuttering. I blah, blah, blah. And I go, I just want to learn. I just want to learn from you. I just want to know what it's all about. I just want to, I just want to smell the gym. You know what I mean? Like in, in a weird way, like I want to smell the hallways. I want to be there. And he goes, well, why don't you come down for the camp and we'll see, you know, if we like you basically, you know, I could be anyone who just knows something about volleyball. They don't know who I am. Mm-hmm. So I went down, coached the camp. And uh, I, i seemed to win them over <laughs> with, with something. And uh, they gave me a shot. What, they,
0: what was the, what was some of the, you know, what was the biggest thing that you learned from from your time with Pete Hansen, your time with that program?
1: Oh my goodness, the the endless knowledge this guy has is is overwhelming. But what it basically boils down to with Pete specifically is there's no secret lock and key to winning volleyball games, and there's no secret way of coaching there's there's no hidden you know chest of of what it takes to be successful and he basically taught me just be yourself and and however you want to coach just coach like that and you don't want to be like me just be you just if you think you're doing the right thing that's all you really have so don't try to pretend to be Pete Hansen. don't try to pretend to be anyone else just do it like just, just be who you are as a coach, whether it's, it's like this person or this person. And that was, that was one of the biggest things he taught me.
0: Wow. That's, uh, that's powerful. So you only spent one year, uh, with, with OSU, correct? Yeah. yeah. And then after that, you, you spent time, uh, uh, at Durham college, where were you before that? Were you just coaching with the, the Durham Attack volleyball club before that?
1: So, uh, it feels like a, a while ago. I was, I was doing things with Dermatech in the techno coordinator side of things. So I was running some clinics with them. I was, uh, basically had, had my hand in a few developmental things with a lot of the older age groups. Um, and that took up quite a bit of time and I was kind of had some jobs I didn't like and some, you know, I tried to get by basically, but I, I quit all of it just to go all in. Wow.
0: And were you were you a volunteer assistant at at OSU?
1: I was. Yeah. Wow. I was there. I saved up all my money uh, doing tiling with uh, with my my girlfriend's father. I was (laughs) was tiling with him for like two straight summers. I had no life. I I had like nothing. I just saved up all my money and I went.
0: Wow. And I mean, lucky you did that because, hey, it's it's already paying off.
1: It, it, yeah it was a big gamble and and you know i feel bad for my parents you know seeing you know me gamble gamble my my, basically the start of my whole life on this you know that it could have worked out it could not have i could have hated it i could have resented coaching i could have resented the process but i mean in a good way desperation is kind of a really good motivator
0: yeah absolutely i think you you said it perfectly yourself now, um, you know we we you touched a little bit about earlier about how like the university system and the college system here in Canada is, is so good, and that's why we don't see that many coaches overseas. But I've always looked at guys like, you know, if you take a Dave Preston for example at McMaster, if I think that you could almost put him in any club overseas and he would find success. Like our level of coaching here in in Canada is, is so high because we've kept so many guys here in, in, in Canada.
1: Yeah, I would, I'd probably agree with you. There's a lot of talented coaches who either who either get overlooked or, you know, who who I can name probably 20 coaches right now who could probably coach professionally men or women in Europe. Um, there's definitely a different approach to coaching professional than at a grassroots level or a developmental level. Um, college and university is a, I've been in both. Um, it is a little bit different how you approach the game um, because you're still tweaking and developing guys, even in their third and fourth year mm-hmm. in professional, you're kind of handed a guy like Irvin Brar, who is good. Like he he's good. He's good to go. He's, he's a racehorse. You don't need to train him anymore. And I'll be honest with you. I didn't, I didn't teach him technically much. You know, there wasn't much more I could have given him to be successful. He was given to me like that. Um, so you approach those guys a little bit differently. You find different ways to motivate them and you give them what they need. College university athletes, they don't really know what they need yet. They don't know yet what motivates them necessarily yet. Those guys kind of do. They, they've been around. They know how it works. So it's my job to give them what they need and give them what they need to, to thrive in a team environment.
0: I mean, it must be difficult too. as you broke it down, you've got some younger kids. Like if you're, if you're in Denmark, you've got some younger kids who are still kind of coming up and then you've got pros. Yeah. So it might be, you might be juggling with the development side oh. with some of the younger guys and then kind of the managing side of, of some of the professionals.
1: For sure. For sure. It, it, it's, it's, it's a lot of delegating and it's a lot of prioritizing you have to really sit down and prioritize what has to go where and when and you need to get those young guys in you know they have to play and they need to train and they but they're also in school and you have pros who need different things so it is definitely a juggling act it's it's different
0: do do you have like a team manager down there to help you kind of with with all this stuff or are you kind of uh, on your own a little bit
1: oh god yeah oh my goodness yeah so when i'm in denmark or any country if you're if you want to coach uh professionally semi-pro whatever you're probably going to end up coaching a youth team you're probably going to have your hand in coaching youth whether they're 11 12 13 or 15 16 17 you're you're going to do both Mm -hmm. um But they knew very quickly I'm not very good with emails and documentation and, you know, things like that. Um, My focus was volleyball. That was my focus. Everything else I was almost completely useless with. So the managerial side, uh, Jacob Peterson, he is so good at being organized. He's so good at, you know, making sure emails are here and making sure everything's bam, 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 bam. And I go, perfect. That's that's your thing. That's don't let me even touch that. So there there was help. There was definitely help.
0: Fair enough. How, did you notice a difference of style of volleyball between North America and, and Europe? Like, is there a, a noticeable style between how they play, how they approach the game, how they train?
1: Definitely. Um, a lot of teams, actually Sweden and Denmark, they they train differently as well. Um, a lot of players drink coffee in between water breaks like a lot of they, they drink coffee after some of them will have snus or like tobacco like some of them yeah like it's it's culturally they just do things that are familiar with them the, i think hiring i think the also the success of u.s and canada in the olympics i think countries have noticed that our playing style is a little bit different and there's a lot more middle there's a lot more pipe the tempo is a little bit faster which we've kind of adapted from Brazilian volleyball. Mm-hmm. Um, but definitely Scandinavian in general, maybe the east side of Europe or west side of Europe plays a little bit more conservative. Uh, Denmark definitely plays a little bit conservative volleyball. Um, just put the ball in the right place, put it in an area where we can hit it. Less errors, less errors, less errors. Mm-hmm. That seems to be that. Where in the NCAA, um, you're looking for speed, and you're looking for go for it every time. That's why everybody's spin serving, and everybody's going for it, and everybody's hitting a big. And in Scandinavia, you're kind of lucky to find spin servers. They're kind of rare because you miss more often.
0: Yeah, so- I, d- I, I did notice a lot by watching your games and looking at the stat sheet over uh, overall that the the passing numbers were through the roof uh, because every, everyone was passing dimes.
1: Yeah, 71%, 65% efficiency, like not a lot of aces. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I got a little bit giddy with uh, Irvin, other than the fact he's a super athlete, but I had spin spin servers. Mm -hmm. And that's something a lot of leagues aren't familiar with, especially in Denmark. And I know that, yes, you will probably miss more serves, but you will statistically get more aces. And aces and points, for me, outweighs consistency, in my opinion. You can have both, but if you want aces, if you want points, some of the points have to come from serves, and spin serves just score more.
0: Yeah, I, I remember um, early in the 2016-2017 season, Carry McDonald at UBC uh, breaking down our team. He's like, look, we are going to serve way more errors than anyone else in the league. But we're also going to drop bombs and we're going to be able to serve aces. And I mean, hey, it worked out for them because they ended up beating Trinity Western in the U-Sport uh, national final that, that year, led by, you know, the aforementioned Ir- Irvin Brar, who, you know, was was one of the best guys from that baseline. So I could definitely see Irv just tearing the ball, like the the skin off the ball in, in Scandinavia.
1: He was definitely excited that. Not, not that I, I was Canadian, but definitely that I had the same ideals that he had coming from college university. And that was something I learned at Ohio as well. And they openly admitted when they played BYU in the final, they won from their serving. They won from their spin serving. They they just put teams so out of system so often that they were able to, to play defense that wasn't that difficult to play. So it was a, it's a blessing, but it's also an incredibly hard hurdle to get over trying to convince Danish players and European players that, hey, miss serves don't matter. That to them is like, like their heads will explode, <laughs> you know, like eventually there comes to a point where you can miss too many serves. We've, we've all seen that, but you have to stay incredibly patient. And that was one of the hurdles I had to portray to them.
0: So, you know, you mentioned earlier about kind of developing, being yourself as a coach and developing your own style. Is that something that you're starting to really incorporate into your own style? Is You know, is we want to be aggressive from the baseline?
1: Of course. Yeah, you have to. It's. I mean, it it all depends and, and it's not the right way to do it. It's not the only way to do it, but definitely for me, I don't even keep track of errors in serving. I don't keep track of it. Um, if it mainly because not everybody on the team was spin servers so if you are float serving or you're doing a less risky serve those are the errors you can kind of pick apart and say you probably shouldn't be missing as much as you you are but with a spin serve you have the green light you have the green light to go for it if you're missing every serve maybe spin serve just isn't your serve but if you're a spin server and you're going for it and you're scoring you have the green light all the time and you will get pushed back from, I mean, at the youth level, you get pushback from parents, you get pushback from players, you get pushback from managers saying, we're missing way too many serves. And it's hard for me, but you just have to practice saying, it's okay, just be patient, it'll get better. And it did.
0: Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're not missing any serves, but the other team is setting out at a 90% clip, you know, might as well try something else.
1: I mean, yeah. I mean... <laughs> If if you're not serving the ball hard, I mean, if you're spin serving, you're not serving it hard. I guess you can make an argument that it's easier to pass, but if I'll use Irvin as an example, George was an uh, extremely efficient spin server. Those serves are not easy to pass by any means. They're coming at your neck. They're coming at like below the knees. They're coming at you really hard and really fast. So if you're, if you're a spin server and you're good at it, keep doing it. And you should have the green light in my opinion.
0: What ball do they use in in Denmark? Is it the Mikasa?
1: They use the Mikasa, yeah. Okay. There's one team in the league that uses the Molten ball, and you're allowed to. You're allowed to pick whatever ball you want, basically. So when they played at home, (laughs) they used the Molten. So our spin servers were a little bit off that day.
0: Really? you you yeah. know, I, I would I've always found that when when players who use the Macassar go to the molten they just their eyes light up because the molten is really like a spin server's ball it's like it's a slight bit it's a slight bit heavier I, I find and w- without all of the asymmetrical you know patterns on it and, and using the 16 panels it's you know I think that's why we see spin serving so prevalent in the NCAA compared to to U sports because sure. they have that ability to just bang on that ball and they know that it's going to curl into the court
1: it's definitely a spin servers ball. No doubt about that. And it, it wasn't just the spin server. Well, we didn't practice with it too. Yeah, right. So true. I, I I'm not going to say the ball matters, but it definitely does. It definitely does. I would um, hundred th- percent
0: say, say the ball matters. And I mean, I, I think we've seen it. Were you on the, Oh yeah. You would have come to, to uh, McMaster nah, with, with, uh, yep, with Ohio state. Okay. Um, so then and I mean we we've seen that where, you know, the American teams come up and they, they struggle playing with the Mikasa and then the Canadian teams go down to the Estates and they struggle playing with the Moulton just because there's none of there's no practice with either ball.
1: Yeah, I think we missed twenty serves that day when, when we came up to play at Mac. I think we missed twenty serves.
0: Yeah, that I, I remember I, I, I was comment I was commentating uh, that match. And I mean we see it we see it on the, the men's international side too. Um, with the, with that transition between the we, between the molten, I mean, uh, going back to the Olympic qualifiers, I'm not entirely sure Canada, you know, does the re- pulls the reverse sweep on Cuba if we're using the molten because that serve from like you know Simone and, and guys like Le- Yant and Lopez is way harder to serve to, to serve in, with with the molten. I mean, they absolutely picked us apart in Winnipeg at the Norseca Championships. Sure. come into the Olympic qualifiers where we're using the Mikasa, we were able to finesse them, finesse them a little bit more with the, you know, the finesse of the, the makasa.
1: Yeah. I was, I was a little bit worried when we actually didn't have Mikasa balls or not the molten balls. We didn't have, them. um, you know, when there's a budget and your club doesn't make that much money, those balls are expensive. And you know, here in Canada, they're what like $90 a ball almost like that. absolutely. So a molten ball, like, it's not cheap and things are expensive in Denmark. So I'm always a little bit worried when we play teams like that, who have a choice to play with a ball like that. And uh, it definitely mattered. It definitely matters.
0: Culturally, what's De- Denmark like?
1: Denmark is very similar. Scandinavia in general is very similar to Canada where, you know, tax is a little bit the same, you know, medicine. Everybody is kind of, in, you know, lucky with medicine. Their tax is extremely high though. So their carbon footprint is starting to be incredibly low and they trust their government a lot. So when the government says, look, we're going to go green, we have to go green. It's good for the environment. It's good for our country. They put 150% tax on cars. So if you want to buy a car, you're paying 150% tax on that car. Like it-
0: this is for any car like electric included.
1: uh just, there are there are a few teslas uh but you might get a you might get you know a rebate or something on an electric car like we do but if you buy a car any car um 150 percent tax on that vehicle how does anyone survive like how does anyone afford a car then you like, don't You don't like, you don't. like no. if,
0: if if it's a twenty thousand dollar car you're gonna be paying you know like fifty thousand bingo that's crazy. I've never heard of that before.
1: Yeah. So so the way they get around that is they have like little cars. Like like the little not just hatchback, like little cars that only see they look like smart cars, but they're built cheaply. And a lot of bikes, a lot of bicycles, and a lot of transit. Yeah.
0: How how big is Middle Fart as a town?
1: Uh I would say it was between Fifteen and eighteen thousand people, so not not an incredibly. So it's
0: smaller than Pickering.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, way smaller than Pickering. Yeah. Wow. Pickering's
0: hundred thousand people, about that. That's that's insane.
1: Yeah.
0: So I mean, at least it's a small town, so you can kind of bike around and, and stuff, and there's not too much distance, and you don't really necessarily need a car. But I mean, it's still Denmark, and I I feel like it's still pretty cold up there.
1: Uh, the, the weather is probably the most comparable to living in British Columbia, where okay. you live by the sea, you live by the ocean. So winters aren't very cold. It's more, it, it's it's not as much of a dry cold than it is in Toronto. Toronto, that cold just goes right through you. Um, so not as much snow, but the weather is mainly the same.
0: Are most of the teams in the league kind of centered around Copenhagen or did you have to travel quite a bit for some of your away games?
1: Well, I mean, the, the country isn't that big. So I, I would say about half the teams are out, are out east your uh, Copenhagen. So like Vila, uh, Amma, they're, they're all out east. And then when you go out west, there's a little bit fewer teams. But Middlefart is right in the middle of Denmark. So the most we ever traveled was about two hours.
0: Oh, that's great then. That's yeah. like better than an OUA travel schedule.
1: Oh, my God. That travel schedule is awful. <laughs> that is awful.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Especially on the women's side when you got to go up to Thunder Bay, too, to play Lakehead.
1: Uh, <laughs> God, it's awful. Yeah. I mean, in Sweden, we, I was pretty much right in the dead center of Sweden and a lot of the teams were either out near Stockholm or South Sweden. And that can take probably seven to eight hours just to get to maybe four of those teams.
0: Okay. So it's not like Finnish, finish league traveling. I've heard, you know, guys who are playing for like Rovaniemi in, in mm-hmm. Finland. It's like, Oh yeah, you've got to travel eight hours no matter where, where you're going to be playing.
1: Yeah. that t- And that, that matters, you know, that you can almost compare it to traveling, like from Hawaii. Like I'm sure, like we, what Steve Hunt played uh, for Hawaii. Yep. You could ask him, it sucks to travel in Hawaii. You're taking a plane everywhere. You're jet lagged every week. You got, like traveling with a big part of, of playing. Yeah, absolutely.
0: But I mean, at the same time, you're living in Hawaii, right? So it's, uh,
1: I'm sure it's fine. Yeah.
0: I'm, I'm sure you're going to give up those, those plane <laughs> trips any single day. Cause then you can go hang yeah. out, hang out in Hawaii. Right. Yeah.
1: I'm sure. What's,
0: what's yeah. the, what's the food like is it a lot of fish, fish based stuff in Denmark.
1: Denmark's a lot of, a lot of pork, a lot of cheese. Uh, I think they're the second highest, if not the number one country in pork distribution. So they're known for pork. They're known for cheese. Um, You'll see a lot of hot dogs. You'll see a lot of uh, like street food like that. But it's, you know.
0: Fair enough. Just, yeah. Is Denmark known for their beer or anything like that? Carlsberg. Oh, I didn't know Carlsberg came, came from Denmark. Okay.
1: They, they, like, they like to drink in Denmark. They like their beer. For Fair. sure, they like their beer.
0: Absolutely. Well, hey, I mean, it, maybe it's definitely a good place to, to head back to uh, for next year.
1: It's It's such a inviting place for a lot of canadians specifically um it's just a nice comforting place especially where i'm from middle like it's it's so small and you're right by the the sea and you're right by all these docks and you're right by little shops that sell fresh fish and fresh mussels and there's no big corporations in denmark so there's a ton of little mom and pop shops everywhere um it really is comfortable it's very comfortable living in denmark
0: Dang, maybe we should uh maybe we should try that i mean of course we've just been killing all of our small businesses here with covid Uh, (laughs) that's another that's another conversation um what was you know how was the covid response in in denmark
1: denmark uh their prime minister is, is very on top of everything and like i said before danish people danes trust their government um I've never really heard of a Dane that was like, there's a conspiracy going on. There's something going on with the government. It's never like that. And the politicians take that seriously. So when they do a lockdown, they really convey to the people that this is a good thing. It will get better, but if it doesn't, we'll have an answer for you. And the people buy into that. Um, A lot of restaurants had to close down, but takeout was still available. Barbershops closed down. Um, but it was very fast. Everything was very, every every politician was on top of a response, and we were very lucky to be able to play. We were very lucky for that.
0: What kind of response did the did the club and the league take towards COVID? Did you guys have to do tests or anything? Like that was there any kind of isolation, masks? You know, during games, what, what was that like from the volleyball point of side of things?
1: There, the rules were were there right from the start. So there wasn't any gray area with, with COVID laws. There wasn't, well, if you're here, you don't have to wear a mask, but here you kind of do, but here you, it's. So when we played, we had fans at first up to about a hundred and middle fart had a very good draw of fans. We, we could get easily 400 people out to a game and it, it, it progressed into no fans. So they go, okay, this is getting a little bit bad. No fans at all. Okay. And then, if you're outside the hall, anytime, you have to wear a mask. You have to get tested every 10 days. Um, that's mandatory, at least in our club it was. Seats and benches, whenever you switch sides, we were allowed to switch sides. Um, had to be cleaned before you sat down. The balls had to be sanitized between each set. Um, no touching, no no fist bumping, no nothing. So they we did our best to, to keep everything to protocol as we could and unfortunately you can't stop covid forever and some players and some teams were affected by covid especially ama who ended up forfeiting the league they just had too many cases and they couldn't continue
0: wow that's crazy i don't think i've I've heard i've heard of some teams was this kind of like towards the end of the season or, or kind of midway through
1: it was it was midway through whenever there was a case on a team they would reschedule the game so they would either do it the week of or depending on who they came in contact with they would postpone it accordingly mm-hmm. um and if it didn't get better and if if it was contagious throughout another team member they would just cancel the game completely and you forfeit that match
0: wow that's yeah. the, that's pretty heavy then
1: that's heavy yeah yeah
0: wow it's going to be interesting to see. I, I know that uh, Vakuf Bank is dealing with a co- COVID outbreak right now and they've got the uh, Champions League finals coming up on on, uh, on Saturday. So it's kind of like what's going to happen. Like last I saw it was like six players and six staff members who had had COVID. It's like, "Oh my goodness, what is going to go? What is what's going to happen?"
1: Yeah, I mean, you keep them in a bubble or not. I mean, something's going to happen, but it's just all about how they organize it and keep People out and how they keep people in. I don't. I don't really know what's going to happen with them. I don't know how they're going to solve that, especially with the Olympics coming up too. That's a pretty touchy subject. Yeah, you know?
0: it's it's, it's going to be interesting for sure. I mean, we already don't have fans, so it's going to be interesting to see how how the Olympic goes down. Now, for for you in, in your coaching career, when was. When when it, when did it come to a point where you'd be like, you know what, I, I think I want to go play pro, or, or not, go play pro. But I think I want to go go pro, coach pro professionally, like in, in Europe. And at uh, what point did you see that? Was that at o- Ohio State? Was was that kind of your goal before going to OSU? That you knew in the back of your mind, like I think it'd be cool to go play or go coach professionally in Europe.
1: I I wanted to coach professionally when I was about seventeen, eighteen years old. Oh dang! Yeah, so I was. Um, I was kind of like a lot of kids where you go through high school and you don't really know what you want to do. And being a volleyball coach, isn't exactly, um, you know, present in career day in high school. And uh, <laughs> you don't so, say. yeah, so there's, there's a lot of jobs that aren't really accessible or available or really, you don't really know you can do it. Um, but I knew when I started coaching at 15 for attack. Um, during their house league programs, I knew that I played the sport to coach it. There was something where I was playing for a reason, even though I loved playing and I played college and I did very well. And I thought I did pretty well, but you, I knew. Did you, I, you play at Durham? I played at Durham college. Yeah. yeah. I was a
0: I'm, I'm pretty sure you played there when I played uh, briefly at Algonquin. Probably. Yeah. I, I played Algonquin 2010, 2011.
1: I think we're the same age. Aren't
0: we? I, I, I'm a 92. So I'm pretty sure you're a 91.
1: I'm a 91.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because I, 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 as I said when we started, I remember when you played for Durham and you had red, red Asics. Um, I think it was you,
1: bright orange actually. I think I still have them.
0: Yes. No. Actually, you had the bright orange Asics, and Craig, <laughs> Craig Dixon, your libero, had had the had the red a red Asics. <laughs> yeah. Probably. That that was a gnarly Durham team that you played on. That was a really good, yeah. really good club team that that you played on.
1: We had a bunch. We had a bunch of super athletes on the team.
0: Yeah. Matt Isaacs uh, was was one of them.
1: Still, still one of my best friends. Yeah, I
0: see that you post his music all the time on your on your Instagram feed. Love oh, it.
1: Got to support him. Yeah, got yeah. got
0: got to rep the homies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I love Matt Isaacs, and I try to keep in touch with as many players as I can. But, yeah, but but coaching at a house league program at Durham College or uh, sorry, Durham Attack, you know Scott Burroughs gave me that opportunity because it 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 exposed to me more around volleyball, and even though it helped him bringing coaches you know it, it helped me be a better volleyball player coaching the sport at a young age um and there was a lot of difficult conversations with you know teachers or parents especially my parents you know you know I want to be a professional volleyball coach it's like well how are you going to do that how, how do you how do you do that and then my answer is I don't know but people do it you know people do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Like, well, like I want to be an Olympic volleyball coach. Well, how are you going to do that? I don't know, but that guy does it. That, that guy over there coaches the Olympics. He does that. So that was kind of my mentality of going through it. And I knew I needed some sort of plan, but at the same time, I didn't really have a plan. I just knew I needed experience and I needed to be at a high level all the time. So Ohio State and NCAA, that to me was a high level volleyball of course and if i wanted to go past that i had to play even higher even higher even higher even higher and then like i said i got lucky and i got you got to be good you got to be lucky and uh you got to be driven and relentlessly uh relentlessly persuasive
0: mm-hmm. especially in a sport like volleyball too you know it's not like hockey or, or basketball or something where it's maybe like a little bit more celebrated you can say like oh i'm a youth hockey coach and People are like, oh, okay, that's great. Whereas if you say like, oh, I'm a youth volleyball coach, people are like, kind of like, oh, okay. So what else? What else do you do? Yeah,
1: um, like what job do you have? Yeah, yeah. Like, what do you do for a job? You,
0: you mentioned that you started coaching at, at 15, and I think that's very interesting. For those who don't know, Durham Attack, especially on the women's side, throughout the 2000s, kind of 2000 2010 was absolutely dominant. Like the national championships were littered by Durham Attack. I mean, uh, I did a podcast with Jen Cross who was a huge part of that. Um she won something like ridiculous, like five national championships in a row. And,
1: five national. Yeah.
0: yeah. And you know, to me it was always came down to how good of a of a house league system Durham Attack had. And that to me was, was really the, the the big thing. And you guys were really one of the pioneers to have uh, an extensive house league system system. And it, it ended up producing a lot of good players for you guys.
1: Yeah. It, you know, a lot of players got introduced to volleyball through house league and myself included. Um, you know, no one really, unless you're volleyball is a very tight community in Ontario and everyone kind of knows everyone. And if you're not in it, you don't really know rep volleyball exists to mm-hmm. a point. Um, so house league was one of those ways where elementary school kids can kind of do more volleyball because everybody loves volleyball. We just don't really know where else to go with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're right. Durham attack was with the spikes program with the women and Scott Burroughs running the house league for the the boys. It was just a, it just came together so nicely and it was just so well organized and it was a lot of fun. Um, And we got guys like uh, Robert Boychuk who came from house league program. You know, that that's one guy uh, Alex Elliott was another guy who played at Mac. He came through the Dermatag House League program.
0: Wow, I didn't know Alex Elliott played. I knew, I know, I knew Rob Wojcik was a was a was a Dermatag guy. Uh, yeah, you know, I remember Alex Elliott being. He was a, a Northumberland guy before that, but I mean, hey, they're right, they're right next door to each other, so th- that makes sense. I yeah. still think that like, high, or, uh, house league volleyball is one of the most underutilized. Um, like assets that clubs have at at their disposal. If I look around at the majority of clubs kind of across Canada, house league volleyball is still something that we don't do well. And I wish we did better. I personally think we focus way too much on high performance and we're focusing too much on that top 1% athlete. And we're not focusing enough on just getting more kids in to play the game at those younger age groups at that, that five, six, seven year old, eight year old age group. Because you know, as you said a lot of people don't really know like club volleyball rep volleyball exists and then it just kind of is thrown you know thrown at them at 14 you go from maybe playing a bit of like elementary school middle school volleyball maybe high school and then the next thing you know you're on a club team practicing multiple times a week and you know going going to tournaments and there's no transition b- between that
1: yeah yeah no you're absolutely right it's uh I think of what it comes down to to is commitment and not not just from the players, but from coaches and it's I don't know if it's I, sh- I shouldn't say it's difficult to find those people, but I'll revert back to Scott Burroughs when he was doing the house league he did it on his own time. He made sure that things were run smoothly. I mean this guy is Mr organization like to a, to a T, right, but this is a guy who loved volleyball still does. And who loves growing athletes from the grassroots up. And if you're someone who loves doing that, just get involved. Mm -hmm. Because it does make a huge difference. And finding the time is very difficult. Um, But, I mean, if you love it, you will find time. You just will.
0: Yeah. Uh, I also find, too, you know, growing up playing like house league soccer or house league hockey, it was always coached by parents who had previously played the sport. And, and had a love for the sport, and they were just looking to pass it on to their kids at a, at a volunteer basis, right? Whereas in volleyball, a lot of the parents who are getting involved with volleyball are first-time volleyball parents, right? And, I mean, we see, like, we, you want to see where the kids of volleyball, you know, a volleyball, like, parents go? They go to the national team, like, Hoag walsh the catchers like M- melissa sarah pavin like these are kids who grew up in volleyball households and and g- went on to that next level so i'm really hoping that as the sport progresses and gets bigger in canada and i mean you know just this as well as i do the explosion that we've seen specifically in ontario for the sport over the past decade has been phenomenal to watch i'm really hoping that as as that progresses we're going to have more and more coaches or more and more parents, sorry, want to go back and and coach back at at the uh, house league level. But you brought up something very interesting that I really want to touch on is that you started coaching at 15, Mm -hmm. right? And in those house league, house league programs. And I thought I've always kind of preached that That's one of the best models that clubs should be undertaking. Like, Hey, let's use our older age athletes to teach the, the younger kids because a, they know the game probably better than most of the adults B. the best way to learn the game is to teach it. So you're only like making them better. C. like we're going to be developing our own coaches. And then like, you know, I, I've always thought that like, if you want to run a successful house league program, you need to engage your 16, 17, you a, maybe even four, 15 U athletes to help with those programs.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't really think you're too young to coach. I don't, I don't think it, starts or stops anywhere with coaching. I think if you have a knack of leading and you have a good personality and you're comfortable talking with people, I think anyone can coach. Um, And it doesn't matter what sport it is. But I think that's something that Durham Attack really, at least I'm very proud of, was allowing athletes to come coach. And it was encouraged. And an important part of growing a club or a team or anything is knowing how to develop culture and, if you don't have culture at the top, it won't trickle down to the bottom. And like you just said, getting 16-year-olds or 17-year-olds who went through it understand what it takes at the grassroots level, and you share that culture, and you share that language going down.
0: Yeah, I almost think that they understand it better than parents and, and adults who you know kind of had that that idea of like, well, this is how things are, are done, so why can't we just speed it up and, and, and get it to this point? Do you see that house league culture or maybe that development culture uh, uh, being different in Europe compared to North America?
1: It's very different. Yeah. We we have a lot more kids. We we just have a lot more emphasis on getting large group of kids in one gym and playing a bunch of sports. Europe uh, specifically, I'll use Denmark as an example. Um, there's no really rep system. There's not really like a, like a Pac-Man or a Durham attack or a Northumberland, and then they play each other. It's kind of like they grow up in that club. So, so Middlefart has a club and that's who you kind of play for. And if you're good, um, like one of the athletes I had, my libero was 15. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes through the club system. That's the club, you know, and sometimes they don't play against other clubs they do, but it's not as organized they, there's no refs really like the kids ref it's not really it's almost like a complete 360 wow so if you're from nordenskov um you know and you're a kid your club is nordenskov that's where you play yeah
0: and but then even like the nordenskov clubs like there's no like national championships for like 15u where like nordenskov would play against yeah. Middlefart against you know wow
1: I mean, some countries might, but no, it, it's very much we're just going to develop you so you can play for our for, for our Liga team. That's kind of how it goes. So they they have it. It's not finely tuned yet. I don't think the development side is there. But uh, teams like Habo in Sweden, they know how to do it. But we're very lucky where we can draw athletes from. You know, Durham region is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can find an athlete who doesn't play hockey, and put them into volleyball. You don't really have that luxury in Denmark. You don't have that luxury in a lot of small towns. You're kind of left to whoever's left type thing.
0: What 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 is the like hierarchy of sports in Denmark like? Like what's 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 at the top? Like skiing, soccer?
1: Uh, I think soccer is is probably number one in every country. Um, That's true. Denmark takes soccer very seriously. Handball is taken very seriously too. In middle fart it is volleyball. Volleyball is the, the dominant sport okay. Um, table tennis they're good at I mean you watch the Olympics they're I think they're good in uh, sailing a lot of sailing, a lot of boat sports um, skiing but yeah it's mainly soccer, handball, volleyball.
0: okay and it's that's interesting. I've never never really thought of Denmark as as an athletic uh, community, but obviously' they've, they've got some good stuff going on there.
1: Yeah, they got some good stuff Finland's right up there Finland puts a lot of money into their sports a lot of money
0: yeah Finland Sweden I feel like I mean like the, of the four Scandinavian countries I feel like Finland and Sweden really put put a lot in I mean I we, we are seeing Norway with a lot of success with the beach volley Vikings this, these days as, as well too
1: yeah and well Norway has Norway has a lot of money mm. Norway is a very wealthy country a lot of pure. oil there right a lot of oil <laughs> just like they could they could fund the entire like they could fund the whole scandinavian (laughs) countries um but sweden surprisingly they put all their resources in soccer and they put a lot of resources in hockey to compete right because hockey is pretty well dominated by only a couple countries and if sweden is right there they need that extra push they know they're not going to probably compete against canada in the olympics and volleyball so a lot of money isn't put there
0: yeah that's that's very fair um, sorry, I got a text message there, kind of d- 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 uh, distracted me from from my my train of thought. But um, you know, at, at this point, I'm guessing your outlook is is looking towards like I- I'm guessing you're wanting to be kind of a full time coach. You're you've been in it for for two years now as as a pro. Is this your path, kind of moving forward indefinitely? For
1: sure, for sure, at at, at some capacity, I think leading is is just my passion and coaching is just another vehicle for me to lead and to motivate and I've had little businesses I've started businesses and I, I just knew that I like to lead and I like to educate and I like to motivate people and volleyball was a vehicle for that but I can't see myself not coaching I can't see myself doing anything else um, I don't want to I don't want to say like the nine- to five thing isn't for me but it really isn't um,
0: you can definitely say that I mean why not? Right.
1: Oh, I mean, I mean, people, everyone's different and, and it's not a bad thing to do that, but I, it's also not a bad thing where if you want to coach professional, I, I think you should give it a try. You just have to really go down the right avenues. You have to be very committed and you, you have to be very willing to work with no money and you have to be expecting the unexpected all the time and it's it's a very lonely process especially for players um relationships can can be affected by it friendships can be affected by it and uh it's a very long process and you just have to buckle up and enjoy the ride but especially for
0: you because you are considered a a very young coach you know like if you're not 30 yet are, are you 30 Twenty nine. Twenty nine. But you turned thirty kind of this year, uh, I'm guessing. This year, yeah. yeah. So you know that's still very very young for a coach, especially professionally. So you've still got, you know, if you're t- looking at Pete Hansen, he was coaching like well into his sixties, right?
1: Thirty five years at Ohio State.
0: Yeah. So I mean, he's he coached longer at Ohio State than we've been born.
1: Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs>
0: So do you, do you still feel like, you know, you've only, you've only dipped your toe in the water and there's still so much more to learn and so much more to experience?
1: I, I, I need to keep learning and I need to be around different people. And in just two years, I mean, I've been around people from probably 15 different countries in two years. And starting my professional career at 27, you know, because I have a late birthday, um, you know, it just kind of opened my eyes to if I can do this much in this amount of time, you know, there, there's no end to this. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's no end. And my goal is definitely to be in the A-League in Italy. Like, I don't see why I can't be there. I don't see why you can't coach in Russia or Italy or Poland. And I don't see why maybe one day I can't coach Team Canada. You know, that that thought isn't really, like, outside of what's doable, for me especially. But you got to do your dues, and you just have to just be patient with it.
0: What about coming back and coaching like a college or university team here in Canada? Is that something that that you'd be interested in, in as well?
1: Yeah, I would love to do that. I mean, I mean, getting youth players and sharing what I've learned and kind of giving it to them and giving them a fresh look, potentially a fresh look on how to play or how to be a team, that excites me. You know, I would love to do another two years of pro or another 10 years of pro and come back to Ontario and share what I've learned. I think that's kind of the point. I th- at least I think it is.
0: Yeah, I I, I definitely agree, and I mean, hey, uh, I applaud you for doing that. There's not many people who have taken that risk t- to go, you know, coach overseas, and and I mean, you're you're essentially doing exactly what the players do, as you mentioned before. Like you're you're taking that risk going to play or coach in a a small town in Denmark and yeah man i i can't applaud you enough for that because as i said not many people take that risk even like i i I coached before like i I coached at at george brown college and i coached club at club as well and you know that thought never even crossed my mind uh of course i've had different different aspirations and and don't coach anymore although i do have to admit like even when you said like i just want to smell the gym like i miss smelling the gym like i miss like yeah I, i i miss that part but uh yeah, I, I definitely applaud you for, for, for what you're doing because you're just gaining experience that no matter what happens next, like if you go have success in, in A1 Italy, that's fantastic. But no matter what you're going to do, you're going to be able to bring that back to Canada. And, you know, I, I, I do wish that there was more, sp- sp- you know, coaching positions uh, for, for guys like you. That's why I've, I've always kind of looked at like that European model mm-hmm. of, of, of professional sports and wondered, like, would that work for volleyball here in Canada? You know, can we change our perception of pro sports and allow like maybe Durham attack to have like a professional team that they, you know, they, 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 uh, you know, they uh, groom their players kind of through maybe not grooms the right word, but they develop their, their players throughout, throughout the, uh, the stages. Maybe they go play university of college and they, they come back and play for their club team, maybe at like a pro or, or semi pro level.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's definitely a, a dream. I don't think it's unattainable. Um, I mean, with one volleyball happening in Ontario and out west, you know, that's kind of, I think, the introduction to testing the waters with a professional system. I mean, I'm not involved in, in that area, especially in Canada, so I don't know if I can comment too heavily on what I know about it. But it's just so... Canada and North America is just so competitive with sports that are televised and that generate revenue. And the only way to really keep athletes in your country is to pay them,
0: Mm -hmm. um,
1: especially at that level. Um, And if companies don't see a return on that, you're kind of left where you started. So I hope that volleyball can grow to a position where people like to watch it um, and at the right times, but as of right now, even the MLB, you know, with our Jays, you know, with the Raptors with, with, you know, we watch football, we don't even have a team and we watch, you know, NFL, you know, we watch more of it. And the only way to kind of grow it is to watch it in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, I find it's actually an issue of how many volleyball people, you know, back when I was trying to promote matches and stuff like that for volleyball Canada be like, Hey, you know, team Canada's playing. And be like, yeah. You know, I love playing the game, but I really don't want to watch it and Being be like, guys, like, I've seen you sit down on Sunday and watch a whole slate of football games, and you can't even sit down and watch one volleyball game.
1: Yeah, and we're also, in the in the NFL, we're watching the best of the best compete against each other. Mm-hmm. And I think one volleyball did do a good job with drawing in familiar faces and very good talent. Mm-hmm. But you need talent. You need publicity. You know, you got to find even the right time of day to watch it. That's important. You know, things have to line up and they have to they have to work or else it's not going to work. Yeah.
0: Well, it's clear that, you know, everything's kind of been lining up and, and working for you. And and I mean, I I don't think that's that's too uh, too surprising too considering how much you've you've told me that you've been working at this since you were 15 years old. Yeah. And I mean, that's crazy. Like you've almost been coaching for 15 years. <laughs>
1: me you feel like that I kind of it, yeah
0: you know and and like uh, you know I kind of suspect you you're, you're a lot like me that as soon as that coaching light bulb went off when you were 15 you always kind of looked at the sport through the lens of a coach right uh,
1: I, yeah that's safe to say for sure yeah
0: so that's incredible dude like hats off to you really that you've okay. you've gone this far because hey Pete Rose may have been coaching at Ohio, Ohio State for you know 35 years but you've already devoted half of your life to to the sport and it's paying off
1: when you say it like that it makes me feel a little old but we are like, getting old like we are though right yeah we are getting old. it's
0: it's weird with that, that that realization i actually just just interviewed on friday i interviewed mark wilson um yeah. who and just just released that one and you know like we're 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 we are getting pretty old it's weird just it's weird to say you know that like we're a decade removed from the ova we're, we're a decade you know <laughs> like like your last year of the ova like I was,
1: we were playing with the leather volleyball when we were playing college so oh yeah ab-
0: absolutely like the old the, like those to, to this day like and i mean you remember because in club we we played with the bottom but the bottom that you played with in club compared to the bottom that you played with in, uni- yeah. in in college and university was a di- was literally a different ball yeah. and that ball used to bounce like that ball was great for spin service great for hitting warm-up really sucked if you got it in the face though
1: yeah because it bounced really quickly off your head
0: (laughs) yeah it did the bladder the bladder was so reactive and it just like it 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 hits you hard so i mean that's how you know you're getting old when you've gone through different iterations of balls now like, yeah
1: <laughs> yeah it's it's true like some kids only know the Mikasa ball that's yeah. what they know that's what a volleyball is yeah
0: like the, that yeah. makasa is is getting switched up like it's the new style now for the 2020 Olympics but that original makasa with with just the, the eight panels that came out in 2008 for the 2008 Beijing Olympics like I remember being at the RT, RTCC, RTTC regional team yeah. training center at Humber College in yeah. 2008 and some of the OVA staff brought in this new ball. And we were like, whoa, what is going on? It was the blue blue and yellow Mikasa. And they're like, this is what, this is what you're, they're going to be using at the Olympics. And everyone was like freaking out about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now that's standard across the board. And there's some kids, as you said, who don't know anything else. I, it, like, even so as far that teams are changing their logos to represent yeah. that ball.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's an entire culture shift. It's an entire new way of playing and the ball allows different play like it really does it changes the game the ball really does matter like we said mm-hmm.
0: yeah it absolutely does well dude i can't thank you enough for taking the time to chat with me to chat with me today i know you've got your covid test in, in a little bit so ba- wow. best of luck with that is that a test or are you getting the shot
1: uh, it's a test. It's okay. a test. I'm waiting in line for, for my turn whenever the government says I can. But yeah, absolutely.
0: So if you get that test as like if it's positive, are you allowed out or do you still have to go back into quarantine for the rest of the time? <laughs> I
1: haven't really thought that far, but <laughs> if I I'm hoping I don't test positive for corona, but either way I just stay in my room kind of like I am anyway. So
0: Well, dude, thank as I said, I can't thank you enough for, for coming to chat with me today. It was it was very enlightening a very enlightening conversation for me. Anytime. And Any- uh, you know what? Congratulations on all your success this year, but I have a feeling that like that's just kind of like the tip of the iceberg. I feel like this is not the 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 last we're going to see of you and I'm excited to see what's to come in the future for for you.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And and I I do hope I can I can accomplish more whether it's measured in in medals or or future coaches that come up and maybe said, "Hey, Mike Bossins was uh, a coach and that maybe got me to coach that. That means everything, you know, like starting something like that is beyond getting coach of the year. You know what I mean? So I, I hope young coaches know that it's, it's accessible and it's okay to be scared to start coaching and it's okay to be nervous and it's okay to just get your feet wet and just go out and coach. And also that there's a future in it, you know,
0: like you, okay. you like you, you can, uh, you, you can pay the bills being a coach. It's, it is it is difficult, but eventually it, it will get easier. And there's there's just more and more opportunities now. You know, like in the past decade, we went from a time when there was OUA coaches who were winning OUA championships and were part-time coaches. And now there's no way we're going to be seeing that, right? And now there's guys like you who are, are going overseas. So I, I think that, like that opportunity as a volleyball coach is, is really there. And I'm really happy that you're one of the guys at the, at the forefront of forefront of it uh, for, for Canadians.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. No problem.
0: All right, guys. Is, is there anything else that you want to mention as, as we wrap up here? Any, any shout outs you, you want to give uh,
1: to, to anyone? Oh my goodness. There it's, it's overwhelming the amount of support I've gotten, whether it's from, you know, Dwayne Cochran from, from Durham attack or Scott Burroughs, or even guys like Adam Martin, you know, some of my best friends who encourage me to stay coaching. And, you know, there's an overwhelming amount of support, you know, and it, it keeps me accountable because if I, you know, if I don't do it, I don't want to let anyone down, even though that's not healthy, but it keeps me motivated. It keeps me going and it, you know, you should you should find a driving force to keep you doing what you love to do and not let anyone bring you down. Just keep doing it. Do what you love.
0: Amazing man. I couldn't have said it better myself. Guys, that was head coach Mike Bossins, who is the coach of the year this year in Denmark for a middle fight volleyball club. Canada born bred Durham Attack boy, Durham College boy. Mike can't thank you enough. We'll definitely have you on again next year. We should definitely do do a mid-season chat, kind of check in and, and stuff like that and, and see how you're doing. But uh, best of luck with your COVID test later on today. And we'll definitely talk to you soon.
1: Thanks very much. Awesome.
0: Thanks a lot, guys. See you next time. Peace.